Scripture reading today is Matthew 2, 1-12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of Judea, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, Report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and lo, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary and his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and mirth. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak to us as a faith community and speak the word that each of us individually needs to hear. Holy Spirit, may all that I say point us toward greater union and intimacy with you the lover of our souls. Amen. So this is the last week of Advent. The waiting for Christmas is almost done. So I just want to recap our journey thus far. Week one, we heard about Joseph. At best, a middle-class-ish blue-collar carpenter whose reputation was in the toilet because he stayed with Mary. And then week two, you heard about these dirty shepherds who mainstream society didn't even trust to be a witness in the court of law. And then week three, last week, we saw an impoverished yet powerful teenage girl from no good Nazareth lead us toward a new understanding of who Jesus was going to be. 
So we're three weeks in, and the vast majority of these first-hand witnesses we have heard from are on the bottom runs of society. They're closer to poverty than away from it. We're not exactly talking about the all-star squad who you would pick to start a revolution. Yet for about the first year or so of Jesus' life, this is who was present. This was who was raising him. This was who he was interacting with on a day-to-day basis. And then in around a year or so, when Jesus started to get into that little toddler phase and walking around, here come these wise men. And they are practically the opposite of all those who we have talked about so far. They're astrologers, and frankly, they're not hurting materially. They've got more than enough to live life sustainably in the upper echelons of society. Except there's something that's different about them compared to Joseph, Mary, and maybe even the shepherds. The wise men have the audacity to be Gentiles. And not just any type of Gentiles, but Gentiles who are astrologers. (laughs) And that's important because these are the type of people who in other parts of scripture, God speaks against as people to avoid, people who are doing evil works. Even uh, with the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, he specifically calls some of these types of individuals out, um, refers to them as like selfish pagans. So we're talking about individuals who should have no interest whatsoever in a newborn king of the Jews. These wise men should have been focused on, on honoring their own king back home in the palace. And instead, here they come to Nazareth, greeting a toddler, probably in a very dirty, smelly dwelling. So I just find this fascinating. We've gone from poor Jews who are being oppressed by the empire to now upper-class sages who might have had resources materially, but were completely outsiders spiritually. So Gentiles coming to see the newborn king of the Jews cements that this whole Christmas story we have, it is completely centered on outsiders in one way or another. It's mind-boggling that God comes into the world in flesh. That alone is just mind-boggling. But to take it a step further, God not only comes in flesh, but God has the nerve to surround himself with people who are considered no good thieves, a dad with a poor reputation, a bold young woman preacher, and kings who didn't follow the proper spiritual protocol and decided to find hope in the dirt 
instead of a palace. And here's why I find that so beautiful. Because if our Christmas story includes people like that, it means it includes all of us too. And it includes the part of us that we think makes us outsiders. The part of us that we try to keep hidden from the world, the part of us that is just totally, we think, unlovable, that we don't dare want Jesus to know the truth about, the part of us that the world considers or doesn't think is up to snuff or unworthy, the part of us that struggles with addiction, which frankly is all of us in some form, the part of us that's depressed, part of us that struggles with anxiety, part of us that is angry, the part of us that we are just so ashamed about and we think we've developed this belief that that must make us unapproachable to Jesus. The story of Christmas shows us that Jesus welcomes that part of us too. We just got to look at who is there. They aren't the prim and proper folks who have their act together. They didn't hide their full selves from Jesus, and neither do we. No matter how messy or how beautiful it is. Mary shows us that we can live into our full and powerful selves, and Jesus adores that. And Joseph shows us that we don't have to live in fear of our reputation because Jesus has already approved of us. Shepherds have shown us that we don't have to look or act a certain way, and we're still invited to be part of the Christmas journey. And wise men show us that no matter how distant others think we are from God, God will still come to us. Pastor, author, pastor and author Daniel Darling writes that this should give us pause when we begin to think that the gospel is only for people who look like us, who come from our backgrounds, or, speak, or who speak our language. Friends, the story of Christmas, it's the story of a God who is willing to seek any of us and all of us no matter what our story is, no matter where they're from, no matter how they live their lives, Christmas is for us and it's for them. It's for the part of us that even we would not dare want anyone else to know about. Jesus is here for that person too. Whatever that may be for you, the invitation is for Jesus to meet you there so that we can be set free to not only love ourselves, to not only love others, but to love ourselves and love all those outsiders who are invited into the Christmas story. That's the invitation of Christmas.
And that is just the hope of the season. But friends, even with that said, and I think the wise men's story shows us this, there's a bit of a caveat to that. Because we have to be willing to do um, what the wise men did here. Now, when we tell the story of the wise men, we usually focus on them being guided by the star. But I think there's another really important interaction that's important to understand in their story. And it's their, how they respond to Herod. Because these wise men are a group of people who are devoted, who had been devoted to a life of service to the crown. And they deliberately disobey a king. Frankly, when some others have read this now, they see this as the first nonviolent act of civil disobedience in the New Testament. Well, it's all the way back to in the Old Testament when you had midwives who refused to kill Hebrew babies and send them along the river. Now, the wise men didn't go and try to take, go back and take Herod out. They didn't say, we're going to try to you know, create a coup against the king. They just refused to participate in his plot. They felt God calling them to a different direction. And they said yes. The wise men made a choice to side with the powerless infant instead of the powerful king. The wise men joined in solidarity with the powerless at Christmas. They gave up their status as people in another king's court to do what God had called them to do. And the same is true for us. Whatever it looks like, and I'm not here with any concrete answers, but for us to consider how are we called to renounce power and stand with the lowly. These wise men didn't have proper spiritual operating. They didn't grow up in a Sunday school, go to VBS, go through confirmation. They didn't get any of that, but they had a heart that was willing to listen to God and that was open to whatever God was calling them to do. Our Christmas story is a story of inclusion for all of us. We're all are invited, but we have to be willing to lay down our desire for worldly power. We can't expect to hear that voice of Jesus if we cling to the power structures of a world. The wise men were upper class, allegedly cultured individuals, and they come and worship a toddler born to a poor family in the middle of nowhere. That's where Christmas began. And that's where wise men found the hope of the world, far, far away from the religious center. They didn't come to a neat and tidy house filled with decorations, which, by the way, I love Christmas decorations. But let's remember what Christmas is all about. They didn't find what we see as Christmas, they found a house that I imagine was filled with dirty cloth diapers and exhausted parents. 
It's absurd. And yet I think it's beautiful. So I'm going to end today with these words from Diedrich Bonhoeffer from his devotional book titled God is in the Manger. For the great and powerful of this world, there are only two places in which their courage fails them, of which they are afraid deep down in their souls, from which they shy away. These are the manger and the cross of Jesus Christ. No powerful person dares to approach the manger, and this even includes King Herod. For this is where thrones shake, the mighty fall, the prominent perish, because God is with the lowly. Here the rich come to nothing, because God is with the poor and hungry. But the rich and satisfied he sends away empty. Before Mary, the maid, before the manger of Christ, before God in lowliness, the powerful come to naught. They have no right, no hope. So who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. And that is the wonder of all wonders. But God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and broken. Amen.